This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Available now from Prosthetic Records, the new album Heaven That Dwells Within from Vancouver's Worm Witch. Metal Sucks says, The riffs that dwell within Worm Witch's sophomore album can't be praised enough. And yes, Brooklyn Vegan praises Heaven That Dwells Within is still an album with the power to unite punk and metal fans like Wormwitch debut was. But Wormwitch sound way more evil this time around. Too many plaudits to count, but Invisible Orange says, once again, manifesting their whimsically archaic brand of frostbitten evil, Canadian black and roll crust punk crossover group Wormwitch has now unveiled their second full-length record, Heaven That Dwells Within. And Decibel Wax's Worm, which continues to lean into the black metal influences, finding a riff-based sound that has a strong atmosphere while remaining in the listener's face. Worm Witch, Heaven That Dwells Within, is available now on LP, digital, and CD, and they are on tour all year. This show is sponsored by Rockabilia. Need to stock up on some of your favorite band's merch? Go to rockabilia.com and put some on your wish list. They're the one-stop shop for all of your band merch needs. Need to buy a gift for someone and know what bands they're into? Pick up something from Rockabilia. You won't be disappointed with the selection, and you get 10% off with the code PCJabberJaw. So head on over to rockabilia.com and use the promo code PCJabberJaw and save 10% today. This month, Amon and Marth will release their new album, Berserker, via Metal Blade Records, comprising 12 monstrous heavy metal anthems that bulge with irresistible melodic hooks, bursts of thrilling savagery, and moments of spine-tingling dynamic drama. Berserker is the result of the huge surge of creativity and collective desire to keep moving forward with no compromise. Purchase your copy of Berserker now at metalblade.com slash Amon Amarth. That's metalblade.com slash Amon Amarth. It's the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts, Petter Speich, Brandon Hahn, and Jocelyn Sharp. Metal Sucks Podcast. I am your host, Petter Speich, and I'm always joined by... Listen up, and you listen good. My name is Brandon Hahn, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Hahn Comedy. And <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. Will we talk about Gucci's weird broodingness Whoa. all the time? Like, yes. the time. Ooh, I what? Love to brood. Do you want to dye your hair blue and oh. get a lip ring? Like, what's going on with you God, over if, here? If it's like my parents Why were are you shot always whispering? and now fighting crime. I'm Jocelyn Sharp. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jocelyn Sharp. And you can find me, guys, at Rise to a Fan on Facebook and Twitter, Rise to a Fan Official on Instagram. Now, Brandon has dropped the tag Gooch. The Gooch moniker. Moniker, if we Now, may. could it be because it is also a name for a perineum? Could yes. that be one of the reasons? That's a really nice way to say it. For the perineum. Like, you think this audience knows what the fuck a perineum is? That's your taint, bitches. Yeah, that's the spot between your balls and asshole. And that's been what's been and, made paychecks. And Brandon, like, woke up one day and was like, you know what? Like, what? Do people think of when they see me? Yeah, exactly. They think <laughs> of that hairy spot that no one wants to touch. But you think you can feel a mole? Well, on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if there's a mole on your if there's a mole on your gooch, please go to the doctor because you might have cancer. This week we're interviewing. <laughs> <laughs> Segway. Segway. Matt from Cryptopsy, guys. But first, we want to, as always, talk about the Metal Sucks news that's hey, going Peter. on. Hey, Peter. Yes. Hey. Hey. Hey, Peter. Hey, Peter. Hey, Peter. Hey, Peter. If no, for you guys haven't heard last week's episode, Gooch 
Yeah. I looked it up. And that actually refers to a taint on a female, not a male. Oh, oh wow. Interesting. Yeah, oh, wow. So, so I'm the so spot between <laughs> the gas and the asshole. Gooch <laughs> is female. You're taint a fucking is male. pussy gutter. <laughs> exactly. Just Get so in know. there. Cooch and Gooch. Get in there, buddy. Good. So you are now, after how many years, getting rid of that name? Let me tell you something, all right? If you love your woman, you'd lick her gooch. That's you all would. I'm getting at. You that's would. what I'm getting That's yeah. what Brian Adams, a fellow Canadian, <laughs> writes about daily. Anything I do, I do it for gooch. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Get knee deep in that gooch. Knee story. deep? <laughs> knee deep. I don't even know what knee deep Yeah, I get is. neck deep in that gooch. <laughs> I guarantee yeah. you, if you're licking a gooch, they'd be like, all right, I'm good. Move move on to one of the other. <laughs> yeah. Move, By the way, move Joslyn. Move on to the, to the main area. Joslyn, speaking Back of, off the gooch. You're a little someone, off. Someone who's had a gooch. It's like licking lick, lick, lick someone's armpit. Why are yeah. you saying past tense? I still have a okay, gooch. Okay, someone, someone who uh, carries a gooch with her yeah, regularly. I'm, I have a concealed gooch carry permit. Yeah. yeah. What is it? What would you like to know? CCG. CCGW. <laughs> no, I mean, does that even do anything for you? No. Okay. No, but your guys's your guys's prostate is nerve endings are t- connected to your gooch or your taint. That's why people, are, you know, make sexual proclivity jokes about it. But for females, I don't feel it. You could kick me in the gooch and I wouldn't feel anything. Wow. That's, right. a, that's, a, that's a very precise kick. Yeah. So <laughs> your shit. I mean, you got to be like brucely accurate. You have to be using ballet point shoes. But so, yeah. So fellas, if you are ever being assaulted by a woman <laughs> and she's trying to steal your purse, you can't kick her in the gooch because that won't work. It's going to be hard to call you Brandon. Mm, it is. Brandon's, Brandon's the nickname of gooch for 20 years now. It was either that or zebra pubes desperado. That Z- was a name. Z- Zebra pubes. Desperado. Why? That was a name Pete what? gave me a long I gave, time ago. I gave Brandon the name of zebra pubes desperado. I don't want to know why. I'm really Man, concerned with why. Man, he was 19, why. but ZPD. ZPD. All, all day long. I was going to get a tattooed across my chest. And of he, course you are. <laughs> he's, he's not Brandon ZPD. Speaking, speaking of tattoos across chest, I just want to share this story one time. So this was like years ago. It was like eight years ago. Uh, I'm doing like a radio remote for my radio station. And uh, this kid, he's like 12. He walks up and he's a huge fan of Avenged Sevenfold. And by this time, the Rev, their drummer, passed. Okay. And the Rev was like an amazing drummer. Yeah. And he's like, I'm a huge Avenged Sevenfold fan. And he goes, my first tattoo is going to be the Rev across my chest. And I looked at him and I go, don't you fucking dare. I said that to a 12-year-old. Well, that, okay? would, that wouldn't have been bad because last year he could have just got an ent added to it and could have just been a big Leo fan. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations on the Oscar. But dude, but so anyways, years later, so I end up going to like a Best Buy or something oh, and I'm no. buying something and he goes, Gooch. And I go, yeah. And he goes, uh, you remember me? I was going to, he goes, I met you at the grocery store and I was a big Avenged Sevenfold fan. I go, you didn't get that fucking Rev tattoo. I mean, out of nowhere. It's like, I couldn't believe I remembered it. He's like, you remembered? And I go, you show me your collarbone right now. And, and he's he like, no, it. I did it. I did it to it. I'm you know like, what? Oh. If he did, you would have had it out though because you could have been like, oh, that was Gooch. I'm Brandon now. Yeah, That's exactly. a different person. Exactly. I'm so grown up now, buddy. <laughs> Talking yeah. people out of tattoos actually is, is kind of a a win. Oh, yes. If you don't think there's a tattoo I have that I wish somebody had been there and been like, maybe rethink this. Are one. you kidding me? I, I have one on the. Ba- I have one right between my shoulder blades, and I showed a co- comedian the other day, and he goes, "Oh, great! Now you got a place for guys to shoot their jizz." And I'm like, "Oh, that's cool. Thanks. Yeah, thank he, you very Gooch much." Gooch has a tattoo yeah. in between his shoulder li- blades that looks like a ghost barfed and then drew it. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, like so. If you want to have gay <laughs> sex with me, if you want to have gay sex with me and uh, use your jizz as skee ball, go for it. Or pegging. Know? Don't be. Pe- don't well, exclude women. You yeah. misogynist. Look, yeah, She's but right. you just make sure you but touch no my jizz. Yeah, and just don't forget. Uh, pay attention to my tank. Right, um, there so is much. jizzing dildos, so let's not go for, too wow. far down this because okay. I could really uh, educate you. Go this down show down has down. gotten so <laughs> far away from metal music. Let's keep it moving. <laughs>
I really like this story that we're going to talk about. You guys took over for a minute. I appreciate that. But uh, soil work, I want to talk about this story because it's a big deal to me. They have declined to play Natural Born Chaos or Stabbing the Drama in their entirety. You're talking about just playing the whole album in, in its entirety. entirety. Okay. Yeah. He, he, I Not get, just tracks. They're still going to play some of the I, tracks. I am one of those people that despise the playing the record in its entirety. Amen. Unless you're going to retire the fucking record. Because I'll tell you right now, guys. Every record has songs that kill your live momentum. Every fucking record. If you play, I don't give a shit if it's Master of Puppets. You're gonna be like bored during a song. There's got to be. There's got to be some accountability and <clears throat> vision for how the performance is experienced as an audience member. And I feel like the al- albums are written and made to be listened to and. You know, live shows are meant to be performed. And if I'm going to pay like 150 bucks to see a band I like, I, I want to hear as many of my favorite songs as I can. And I'm not going to get that if they just well, play one album. Good news. This is soil work. So they're not going to charge $75. <laughs> That's if you're buying two pairs. That's if you're buying two tickets. That's not in America. Not That's, in very America. That's very true. But you're right. My thing is, is like, I personally, I like the greatest hits when I go to a, I just love the energy when there is a greatest hits going on. But, but to Pete's point like pete is a diehard art fan like he loves the music he loves the new stuff so he is that guy that will give every single record like eight listens over and over and over again and to the point to where when they do play those new songs live he's right there you're one of the you are like that that probably like that quarter the of minority the yeah i've realized that yeah you're yeah. the quarter of the audience that does sing along with those bands but you got to understand that quarter of the audience is exactly what that band needs like so the people like pete is what those is what the artists need they need they need yeah. those, they need those guys singing along with them and stuff that's a huge thing but i also feel like playing the album in the entirety as a performance what is the point of that you know like what are your what are your it's a cash grab yeah it's a you're cash just that's what i'm saying like if yeah. it's just a cash grab and there's no artistic motivation behind it i a little bit feel as a fan like you're just kind of looking at me like a piggy bank and i don't i don't i want to be your piggy bank but i don't want to feel like a piggy bank right <laughs> and let's be fair those fans that dropped off at stabbing the drop on a band like soil work the new material is so much better it's so much better they're a tighter band now they are such a tighter band I mean, like, for you to want to go listen to a record that that period of time makes no sense to me. Right. I feel the same way about Iron Man. Brandon walked out on Iron Man. You, you left early. I did. I didn't leave early. That's you, only because I had Because a co- they were playing so much of the Book of Souls. But the point is, is that <laughs> bands... Yeah, I wanted to hear Aces High, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Good. Brandon. Excuse Brandon, me. Excuse me. Excuse me. The artist formerly known as Gooch. The artist formerly known as Gooch. I'm going to draw a woman's taint and then draw, like, a squiggly symbol in between it. For yeah, your new logo. Yeah, exactly. Me winking. <laughs> <laughs> I I cannot believe you walked out at a Maiden concert because they do play <laughs> insane. There's there's part of part of the reason he was because out. Vinnie Paul walked out. <laughs> yes, Vinnie Paul walked out because they were playing fucking Red and Black off Book of Souls. Vinnie Paul left. Okay, that's yeah. a pretty. Metal. I, I'm if, the yeah. only survivor if of Vinnie that. Vinnie Paul left. That's a pretty metal. Yeah, move. I was like, Vinnie's doing it. Vinnie's calling it. I'm calling it. Yeah, besides, when Vinnie, it, when Vinnie calls, you walk. Yeah, right? that's and true. Here's the thing, though. I knew Vinnie, so like, if I walk, maybe Vinnie would buy me some drinks a little bit later on that night. I mean, he was very, <laughs> was he was very team. friendly. He was very friendly. <laughs> Vinnie got us drunk before the show. Vinnie got Red yeah, Square. He, he did then, get us drunk. He got you and I drunk. He got me wasted. 
sit at Red Square. Yeah. But the motherfuckers left before, while they were playing Red and Black songs. First off, Vinny bought us one drink and Pete got wasted. Uh, okay, that's that what he... <laughs> <laughs> I talk about one that with drink. Matt. Uh, I talk about that with Matt in the uh, interview that's coming up. Like, I cannot even handle a beer anymore. But remember the Bilbo's days when we had the card? Oh, dude. Yes. Dude, there was a card of like 500 drinks. And I got on the wall five times. No, yeah. you didn't. But that was what Pete, that was the thing. That was before. That was when Pete was single for like you know. What I mean, and that's the thing. Like there was a moment where Pete had a moment where he was on a tear, and then it was like, like and then all of a sudden, three months. and then it was like, and I'm like, oh my god, Pete's so fun. And then the second I said that, the brakes hit, and he's like, <laughs> no, sorry, <laughs> I got to drive so to work fun. now, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I am allergic to fun. Yes. Here's a weird thing: is when Pete's shit faced, he can read, which is the opposite of when he's sober. Oh, so yeah. you, you guys are telling me to like take shots before. The show. Like get the jack. Pete needs to get. <laughs> Pete needs to be able to say apoptosis. <laughs> Mercury, nuclear. Just give me drugs. I've been practicing. I've been practicing. It's like you're that guy that stutters, but when you sing a song, you totally get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I like that. Uh, uh, Listen, I understand may, that bands. Maybe not the album as a show. Maybe not. Maybe just I, don't. But it's it's a cash grab. That's I understand true. bands want to do that. But dudes, I, I think like the, the shows are weaker, and they fucking know it. Every band out there that's playing their first record in its entirety, they know the shows are shittier. I'm not gonna say, gonna say I'm not gonna say because on here because I would never want to discourage someone to, from going seeing a band unless they're truly shitty. Is there's a band I love that I recently went and saw live? Crazy Town. Yeah, it was Crazy Town, uh, and uh, they <laughs> didn't play the butter. They didn't play Butterfly, so I was like, I'm out. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, no, uh, it, I, there's a band I recently saw live that I, I love I actually like worship and because they did this weird new live experience thing that they did I, it can completely and totally stop me from buying tickets to see them again this time around mm. well there's something about there's something again once you're once you're a fan of the art and once you show everyone that look uh, the, the period where we haven't even reached our full growth yet is the period that we want to make sure that we grab I mean again once you make it so obvious that it's a cash grab Especially when it comes to people that really appreciate your art, it is disturbing. It is disturbing. Yes. It's it definitely it's it's a bummer. You know, I saw Megadeth play um, Peace Sales in its entirety with Slayer playing Seasons in the Abyss in its entirety, and many people probably saw that show. Anthrax opened, and it was probably the worst concert for all three bands. Yeah. Okay. Seasons is my favorite Slayer record by far, but the mix is what gets you excited. Like, what are they going to play next? You're right about that. And again. These are and another thing too. How many times have those bands played those songs? So there's no energy behind the that. The energy too. is that's gone. what I'm saying. They don't need to kick it into fifth gear Dude. because they're not that much. They're not that into right. it. Right. So play all your hits. Let feed off of our energy because when they when we hear the first chords of one of those songs that we know, the, you feel the energy in an entire in an arena. You can feel the energy just get sucked out of the room because people are about to scream and yell because they cannot wait. Right. And when I saw Megadeth, I also saw them play Countdown to Extinction. Entirety and Countdown has some bad songs. Yes, it yes, kills. it does. It's like, dude, replace. But unfortunately, as we guys were talking, is that these are things for money. Yeah, and the music industry is you got to do things for money. I, you got to do. things I want to be like, hey, you know, like your fans aren't stupid. Like, don't. But also, I want to be like, look, I know that the music industry fucks you. So get get your yeah. cash. You got to get that cash. Get your paper, man. You got to get that cash. You got to drop your nickname and just fucking. <laughs> you got to do that. Especially if it was the name of a woman's body <laughs> part. Yes, exactly. My new nickname is Nipple. <laughs> 
vulva. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the phrase selling out is gone. Yeah. And that's yeah. why these things are allowed now. Yeah, I think that's, that's why. Because they're going to make maybe double if they're playing their classic record, you know, for, yeah. for an anniversary. You know, like, I, it's, it's crazy to me. But if I saw Lamb of God, Ash of the Wake, 15 years anniversary just happened. If I saw Lamb of God playing Ash of the Wake in its entirety, I would be bored as shit at that concert because they put out so much good shit after that. Well, that's the thing. Well, the one thing with Lamb of God, what makes them so excellent is the fact that there has been steady growth throughout their career. They're and it's also like, a fucking excellent live performers. Right, right. Uh, that, that, that's all that matters. Yeah. Jocelyn nailed it. They're fucking Iron excellent Maiden live performers. Iron Maiden can play anything they fucking want. Yes. And the fact that people walk out, Vinnie Paul, R.I.P., Gooch. Yeah. Gooch. R.I.P. Scooch R.I.P. Everybody that left Brandon Hahn, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> no more Gooch. It's so funny because you call him Gooch. That's I, just like his name like, to you. Yeah, no, my, no. I won't stop you. I know, but I'm going to work really hard on calling you Brandon because I really try and be respectful of people's wishes. But I, I became friends with Gooch with Brandon through comedy. So I only ever knew him by like his stage names and his stage monikers. And everyone has always called him that. So to call him Brandon feels like, I don't know. It feels a little bit like my dad walked into me in the shower and I'm dealing with how uncomfortable it makes me. That <laughs> just creeped me the fuck out. <laughs> my dad walked in on me in the shower and then you changing names. That's what it well, reminds you well, of. Because it's like, you know that it's okay and it's fine, but it's also feels wrong and right. dirty for a second. And you just have to get past it. Right. Well, it's always it's your gonna- dad. He's not, He's not looking at you like anything. He's just like, right. He now, he's yeah. your dad. Now, granted, if he stood there for a few seconds <laughs> and he was like, way to go, me, and he's patting himself on the back, it's like, good job making <laughs> that bone structure. Yeah. <laughs> we'll ne- get there. Next story, guys. <laughs> Fear Factor got, had a Grace Hits released album, and they had no knowledge or anything about that before the record was released. At this point, in, a, in the game where records don't matter and Spotify only matters, do, does the band really need to know if a Greatest Sister album has released? Well, let's talk about it. I, it's, I don't think that they necessarily have to know, but are they still getting some kind of residuals? Because as much as we Absolutely. hate Spotify, they are still, I mean, they, as, as long much as, as we hate getting, them As long for as what it's coming done. from somebody who's in their management team or their record label, then that's fine. Right. If it's someone who's contractually, you know, going to give them, but, you know, the thing is, is like, without the band's knowledge, like, what does that mean? You know, because that could just mean that they didn't read their contract. <laughs> you know, right, like, yeah. that could really mean what that means. I'll tell you what I hate about this story is that the, the album was called Lynchpin. The only, eh, there's maybe three good songs on Digimortal. Digimortal's their worst release by far. Yes. And um, so Fear Factory got a new greatest hits record released under the title of Lynchpin. So, but personally, like, people don't buy records. I accept that, even though I still buy records. You know, I accept that nobody gives a shit about that shit, you know. But if someone was to go to Spotify and look up the record Lynchpin, they might get a great assessment of Fear Factory. Okay, I mean, you're probably And that's right. all that matters now. So the physical copy means shit. Well, see, personally, though, so, I think if you want to get a good... My, I think if you just go back and listen to Demanufacturer, I mean, that's all you got to do. It's like that right there is Fear Factory at their height, at their... At their best and obsolete too. Those those two records were fantastic. I think that what what well, Fear Factor is one of the most important bands. I think, I think of all time. What the con- uh, that's the way I see it in metal. If anybody wants to argue with me about Fear Factory, go ahead. At Rice to Offend. Yeah, at Rice to Offend <laughs> at gmail.com. But Fear Factory is one of the most important metal bands in history. Explain why. Explain why they changed everything. They came in original at a time when everybody else was doing other things, and they put out two 
like you just meant, Demanufacture Obsolete are fantastic, flawless records. But what they did is they changed the gap of Industrial Thrash and New Metal. They changed that gap. Lynchpin is on Digimortal, which was their like, fuck it, we're just gonna go new metal on you guys, which was unacceptable. Right, and, and which was thing, unacceptable. And another thing too, but with the that record band. sold, that's a gold record. I, if I or obsolete went gold because Digimortal. Yeah, but the point is, is that um, I get it. They went for the money route, but the fact is that Fear Factory was a band that really changed. And changed metal. They did. And flat out. One thing that they did, and this is, they, he was actually the They're first one of the singer. Best bands. He was yeah. one of the first singers that went from like growling to, clean. to yes. singing to singing Clearly. clean. Yeah. He, he went from growl to clean in an industrial setting, which was uh, unheard of. Unheard, unheard of. of. He was the first one that did that. You know what I mean? So it's like, you got to give you, the, the only reason why I wanted you to point that out is because some people are going to go, what? It's, but it's again, a lot of talent that, that that takes to do that. But It's a lot of talent, not only that, but belief in yourself. I mean, so the point is, is like when you mention a band like Fear Factory, who isn't on this, who isn't on this Mount Rushmore because they were the first ones to do something. Not always, and if you're always the first one to do something, if you're never you going to get the credit. If you put a Mount Rushmore <laughs> of new metal type bands, the shitty part is that Fear Factory would probably land on there. Yeah. It would be Slipknot, System of Down, Fear Factory. Then you pick your fourth guy, but they would land on there. Yeah. But what they did and how they evolved, it was game changing. And as far as the greatest hits compilation being like, the thing is, is that I think that comedy has figured out that, that if you know, music could get behind in a big way, especially metal is that content is king. And then if you drive content online and on social media and there's people able to consume things about you constantly, then they're going to come out and see you live and they'll pay more for you live. The more content you provide online. So it could be a positive effect in the long run. And that's what I hope is that at some point the music industry flips to this place where it's, it isn't about the album anymore because that's not going to work anymore. It's about the live show. Absolutely. No, I agree with you 100% on that, Joss. 100%. So, and with that, guys, let's jump into our interview with Matt from Cryptopsy. Everybody, what's going on? On the phone, I got Matt from Cryptopsy. We are here to talk about their North American tour with Aborted, which is happening right now as we speak. But primarily, we want to talk about your new podcast, man, Vox and Hops, which is on voxandhops.com. Matt, let's talk about your podcast. Now, your podcast is you talk to a lot of musicians and guys in the death metal scene that you know or don't know on occasion, but you also always share a craft beer with them. So I'm assuming those are two things that you love that you put together for a conversation. Is that fair? That's right. That's right. It's all about uh, two people getting together. It's as if like you're a fly on the wall, two friends sharing a pint in a pub, and they're just shooting the shit. For me, when I'm when I'm doing interviews and stuff like that, I have to get people kind of going a little bit, you know, because I don't know them personally. But a lot of guys that you do talk to, you do have a relationship with outside of just the conversation, correct? That's right. That's right. That's right. Not always, but most of the time for now. Being in the scene, I have a lot of connections, so. Either bands coming through Montreal, I've been interviewing them, or I've been interviewing people while I'm on the road with them. So it makes it a bit easier to get them to open up, and I know a lot about them. And I think that's a great thing, because like, while you're touring, you get to actually talk to other guys you're touring with, so you get to do almost double duty. Does that get tough, though, because of schedules, the way tours are? It's it's uh, Luckily on this one, I'm just a direct support, so I don't even get a sound check, so I do have a lot of time to get interviews in. So I've been, I've been very lucky. I've done almost 10 interviews i've not done nine interviews on the tour so far and i have more scheduled so it's just it's just a matter of just finding a time and a place and we have the bandwagon so that serves as a good uh, 
quiet getaway, even if there's a soundtrack happening. Now the beer aspect though, that's, that's a, a must, right? So even if you're doing it on tour, you still have to find a cool craft beer. Because if people go That's to the right. website, you'll see that you actually say the beer that you have on there. I'm from Montreal, and the craft beer scene in Montreal over the past 10 years has really exploded, and it became a bit of an obsession of mine. And I would invite friends over, and I'd love to share beer with them. So I just translated that with the people I was touring with. I'd just be telling them, oh, this beer is good, but at home, there's this other beer that I just love so much. I'd love to share it with people one day. So I try to find beers that cater to people that I think that they would like and I try to it has to be a craft beer and we get together and we drink it and we, we talk about their lives and their, their projects and music on tour I've been really lucky I did this contest thing participation thing where fans can bring me some craft beer and I'll use it on the podcast either I'll review it if I don't use it on the podcast or I'll use it during an interview with some of my guests and they get a free ticket to the show and I've been overwhelmed with the amount of free beer I've been getting. Now there is a compromise on occasion because some people don't like beer. Tell us about a um, apple cider compromise that you had to do on an episode. I did, I did with, uh, with Sven from Aborted. He's, he's, although he's Belgian, he does not necessarily enjoy craft beers. He's uh, really not into the whole IPA movement. <laughs> so we drank a cider. Luckily I... We were in Europe at the time, so it was easy to find a good uh, a good cider for him to taste with me. And uh, I, I'm open to making adaptations because at the end of the day, a good interview is a good interview. And uh, with a big artist, I don't want to force people to drink because I don't like drinking. So I've also done uh, Jason Rockman, who works at Shome, which is a big rock station up in Montreal. And he's been sober for over 25 years now, so we drank non-alcoholic beer together. But it was also a craft, and I don't call it beer. And I'm also willing to like venture into, you know, the lands of like uh, craft sodas if we had to, or like kombucha. I, I, I'm rather flexible, but the, the the craft aspect still has to be there. But no weed. No, no, I, I'm not. That's not my thing. No, nah, it's not mine either. I was just, I was just curious because I, I, I feel like there's some artists out there that would compromise on that. <laughs> no, I don't think my interview would be very cohesive. <laughs> Do you edit your <laughs> interviews uh, extensively when you go back to the post-production of the project? I, I do a bit of editing, but nothing too much. Really just removing a little pops and weird silences. Uh, sometimes I stutter and I try to make it not sound like I do. That's about it. Oh, yeah. Trust me. You're talking to a stutter king, man. You're going to hear this interview with me stuttering the whole way through. And then afterwards, you'll be like, man, he sounded professional. (laughs) That's all the computer, man. So I love your I love your podcast because you do the in-depth conversations with peers. And that's always nice because there's always a a connection there. And the conversations they do a lot with the why people chose their profession. Who had the most unexpected story to you of how they got into the scene? It's a good question. A lot, a lot of the times people just stumble into it, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it's always just like a hobby that ends up becoming more and more and more. You know, you, music is such a passion that uh, I, I can't just pick one. I think everyone has their own story that's interesting. And uh, even like myself, I just, I fell into being in a death metal band. I wasn't a death metal kid. I'm not a death metal singer. I've grown to become one. But, you know, we all have our own strange paths. But nothing was overly shocking more than, like, I like playing drums, and then I played drums, and now I'm in a band. 
So you originally had no desire to be a death metal singer growing up in youth? Were you just more or less a fan, and then you discovered it? How did that come about? I, I was a rock kid. I grew up, uh, my dad listening to Metallica in the car, uh, Journey in the car, uh, Guns N' Roses, Bon Jovi. And I just, you know, ventured from there into discovering, like, the first big discovery for me was, like, Marilyn Manson, let's say, and then Korn. I was really a new metal kid. And I, I really, really wasn't into death metal until I finally picked up Cannibal Corpse's Kill album. From very, very late blooper in death metal. And even when I joined Cryptopsy, I wasn't into death metal. I didn't know what I was doing. And it's, you know, we, we made an album called The Unspoken King that got a lot of flack because of that. And uh, it's taken me many years to grow into becoming a good death metal vocalist, finally. <laughs> Cannibal Corpse Kill. We bring it up all the time. Kill, Evisceration Plague. That That is the, like, I don't know what generation that is, but that brought death metal. Just It was just a new wave. The, I call it the Rutan era, where he kind of came in, too. But man, Kill is such an important record. Like that's the one I'd give to someone if they weren't they didn't know who Cannibal Corpse was. I'd be like, here's a Visceration Player Kill. Those would be the first ones I hand to them now, which is really cool yeah, for production, like the production's amazing and the songs are amazing. Yeah, and, uh, out of this world. I never thought I could do vocals in that genre. You know, when I first heard that, it was like, oh, this is really cool, but I don't know if I could do this. But I was definitely interested by it. What do you feel is the most common thread about the guys that you do interview? There's a lot of uh, passion. People are very passionate with what they do, uh, whether they're, you know, it's their art. I've, I've interviewed an artist that does, like, album artwork or it's a, a promoter. There's the, to, to do all these jobs, you have to be very passionate because there's not a lot of reward at the end of the day. It's like a, like a, a borderline hobby that you actually sort of get minimally paid for. So, so the passion has to be there, and I really think that's the same thing that comes in with craft beer, that the, the brewers that are making these beers that I presenting and sharing that people have a lot of passion and uh, there's just passion across the board that's going on how do you define the difference between passion and being ego driven like to the point where you're like i just have to prove this to myself that i'm not going to fail i think that they go hand in hand it's it's more of a i know for myself i'm and i'm somewhat ego driven it's more just the fact that i always want to be better than what i have been it's not to, to, to prove that I've done anything. It's like I never, I never believe that I've made it. I'm never satisfied with where I'm at. You know, I played Wacken. That was like the biggest thing that I wanted to do with my life. It's like I, I'm gonna have. I remember back in the day, I was in this band, Three Mile Scream, and I used to have this guy, Mike Marino. Shout out, Mike. He uh, was the leader of the band, and he used to always say, like, "Do you believe it now, Matt? Do you believe it now?" When we got our first record deal, he's like. Do you believe it now when Randy Bly was in my jam room hanging out with me? Do you believe it now? And I still don't, you know, believe it now that I'm never satisfied. There's no, in my passion, and it's not an ego thing. It's just a, I constantly want more, I guess. I sometimes question that as a person is that, am I doing this because I'm proving something to myself and finishing this because I started it? Or is it a passion? Because there's always a point is when your passion becomes hard work, you know? And yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Having, having a podcast is a lot of fucking work. Putting in episodes every week without missing weeks, is, it's, it's a hard job. It's, it's a, the editing, the interview, the scheduling, but it's, it's, it's definitely a passion, this one, because I'm, you know, I'm not making any profit off of this podcast so far. It's pure, pure just 
me hanging out with my friends and sharing beer and then sharing those conversations with the world. Exactly. I see that as a passion. There's no ego in that. That's good. Yeah. But yeah, for me on occasion, like there is probably weeks I should take off. There was a couple of weeks ago where I was like deathly ill with the flu and we put out the episode and I barely made it. I had to do 15 minutes before the interview. The interview was solid. I was proud of the interview. And those first 14 or 15 minutes, like you can tell I'm, I'm not even present, you know? And I'm like, yeah, yeah you, you, you feel it yeah. editing. And the same happens to me sometimes when I do interviews and I'm on tour and I feel like I'm tired during the interview and I can hear it when I'm editing. Yes. And that's disappointing to ourselves, but in you know the the, the wide audience is not going to feel that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I try I to convince not. myself. I hope not. Yeah. Yeah. I hope not. yeah. But me, I'm like, oh man, this was a low point. I, I was sick. I should have just said I'm sick. You know, <laughs> but no, dude, that's where the ego. You you're like, no, I can't miss my deadline. It's my deadline. You know? Yeah. <laughs> no compromise. Yeah. Exactly, dude. Exactly. Do you feel the origins of musicians are different depending on what area they're from? So you're from the Montreal area, but have you learned as you're interviewing people that their region defines why they're motivated to do it? I, I think I, I have interviewed a lot of musicians from Montreal. and uh, As you well know, there's a lot of fucking amazing bands from Montreal, mm. like Cataclysm, Cryptopsy, Voivod, uh, Beyond Creation. You know, like it's just, it's just nonstop. The bands come out of there. So a lot of these bands that I did interviews with up to, from Montreal really reflects on the scene that Montreal had like in the mid 90s, early 2000s. There was this booking company, BCI, ran by Steph Menin, who now books for Continental Concerts USA, uh, the booking agent that booked uh, the Hell Over North America tour. And uh, he used to bring in all the death metal packages. So like, people would grow up at this venue called uh, either Fofone Electric or The Medley, which is no longer there. And, uh, you know, you just grow up to metal shows and seeing all these huge bands come through and getting inspired that way. So definitely in Montreal, I see that happening there. The other people I've been, that I've interviewed are more so just, you know, the tape trading era, getting inspired that way, um, learning how to scream in your bedroom, uh, screaming over Cannibal Corpse, you know, uh, more so just that. And I feel, I feel like a correlation with the beers and the tape trading era too, because it's some of these beers that I'm finding and bringing. You can only get them in certain areas. You can limited batches, and then when you find it, you share it. It's super. Like just this morning, I woke up and Andrew Garrity, the merch man, TM Driver Extreme, uh, wakes. He's driving aboard in the other bandwagon. He wakes me up and he goes, "Hey man, I brought this beer for you. It's from my hometown." Blah 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 blah. And he like hands me this delicious beautiful beer that I'm going to drink later tonight. So there's, there's a lot of um, similarities in the tape trading era to the beer trading era. Now, the thing with the beer is that I'm a lightweight. So anytime I get a good IPA, I get drunk too fast, right? And then I can't really tell if it's good or not because the, the aftertaste has such a strong palate usually for me, okay? But since I'm already drunk, I kind of lose... If I if it's I have to say it's good at that point because it, it did its job I guess but like I mean how much can you take of a craft beer I guess before it it just changes your senses I'm um, no I'm pretty pretty good at drinking beer so <laughs> <laughs> I uh, it, it, it's more so the order and types of beers that you drink so if you're gonna drink like a, a heavy IPA you can't like go backwards and drink like a, a nice smooth or sour fruity beer because 
you won't be able to taste it, Julie. You'll have hot fatigue, it's called, where your tongue just can't handle it. I, I typically, my, my typical drinking nights, if I'm going to buy beer for myself, I'll start with a nice sour and then build it up to a nice hoppy IPA. But not too hoppy. I don't like the whole West Coast IPAs. I, I like New England IPAs, which are hazy, smooth, fruity, tropical. And then I'll finish off my night with a big, heavy, like, bourbon age stout if I could pick my own beers. There was a place out here in Las Vegas. It's no longer around. It's called Bilbo's. And they used to have 500 beers. You'd get a card, a stamp card. And you'd have to, if you drank all 500 beers, 500 different beers, they'd put your name on a wall in a plaque. I got my name on that wall five times before this place closed. You yes, I did. But I learned so much of what you just said. Is like I remember the first time I'm like, I'm just going to go and order. And I would be like throwing up within three beers. But you had to do like Mexican beer day, green beer day. Like, you know, like you had to actually like split it up to the beers that you're drinking. Because you're right. If you mix them up, and it's a wrap, dude. It's, it's over. It also had shots too. That was the point. It was like, you know, okay, I remember yeah, yeah. the last shot we always took was this thing called Fernet Branca. Do you know what that is? No, no. Oh, bro. No. It, it, every time I took it. It's an Italian like liqueur. It was the grossest thing. But it was always the last one before I got my name <laughs> on the wall. Yeah, it was great. It would be like bronze medal, silver medal, gold. And then like the fourth one was like sloppy drunk. And the fifth one's like you're going to die. And it was like I got up to I'm going to die, you know. And then the place closed down. 500, 500 drinks. 500. It was, people would walk in there with their stamp cards. It was a great idea. I, I thought it was a fantastic idea. And so obviously it, it would take most people like a year you know, or something like that. But it was just a fun time because you you would taste different things constantly opposed to Coors Light, Coors Light, you know, something like that or whatever. Can you drink something like a Coors Light or is it, you're like, no, you're too, I don't know. I'm doing, I'm doing a, a, a no chips, no soda, no juice, and no shit beer tour. So I have, <laughs> I, I, I have broken those rules a little bit. I had a Lone Star after the show in Dallas. It, it was refreshing. Uh, there, there is a beer for every moment, but uh, if I can choose, and <laughs> I, I would rather not drink shitty beer. I understood, understood on that, man. I, um, like I said, when I get drunk, I think it, it doesn't even matter. Like that was my mentality. But now that I, I'm just, I can't handle it anymore. I, it's, it's a more of line at you. Like I want to enjoy it because, who knows. Dude, I don't, I'm, I'm a real, real snob. <laughs> you're no, that's, I was just about to say there's, there's a snootiness to it. I love it though. That's good. It's, it's uh, we, we all got to be about that somewhere. I'm a snooty when it comes to movies. Like when I watch movies, like I don't accept anything these days. I think everything's mediocre. I'm like, people don't want to talk movies with me because I really feel that industry has just gone really downhill. Right? There's nothing, nothing original anymore. Uh, yeah, that drives me crazy. And we grew up in a time where that. Is what made what mattered the most is being original and having your own voice, whether it be music, movies, anything. And now the fact that it's kind of like all the same, I think it. They're, they're just all reboots. Yeah, dude, the reboot thing drives me up the. I I I'm still not over Nightmare on Elm Street getting rebooted without Robert England. I'm still not over that. I'll tell you right now. I'll argue. I think I talked to Sven about this, as a matter of fact, because I talked to him when uh, Terrorvision came out, and I was bitching about this then. Now I'm <laughs> I'm bringing it back to you now. <laughs> right, so no, I, I can't see that happening and working out positively for them. And, and you, you can't have you can't have Nightmare on Elm Street with that Robert. Right? no sense no sense dude and it probably did i didn't look it up but financially it probably did work for them but that's what we're getting to see more days is that it's just a financial thing and the great things that ever happened were risks that you know maybe weren't going to work out financially but then did that's what made things interesting so 
Anyways, um, let me let's talk about the stage because I love talking about the stage is a, a sacred place to most artists. But what does the stage mean to you personally? It is uh, my home. It's it's uh, the the reason I'm out here. The reason I'm not with my family. The reason I'm not with my kids. Uh, the whole day is just a big build up to that. You know, forty five minutes on this tour of me being where I'm at my happiest moment of the day. Whether there's, you know, 20 kids there or 600, it's, it's, it's still a good moment no matter what. Obviously, the 600 one's a little bit more fun for me. But it's, 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 a, it's just something special. I've, I've always liked performing, even as like a little kid. Uh, I still get nervous every time. Every time, right before we get on, I get uh, the goosebumps and the the pre-show rituals of uh, having to take a pointless piss where I don't even have to piss, but if I don't go, I feel like I do. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's 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 really just just the best best time of the day and the best place to be. How vital do you think that is that everybody finds something like that in their life? Oh. Oh, it's, it's, I, I can't even imagine living without a purpose the way that I feel like I found that life must be very, very, very boring if people don't have at least something that motivates them the way that me being on stage motivates me. Now your motivation probably changed, I'm assuming throughout the years. And, uh, what was it in 2007 compared to 2019? Oh, I was I was so fucking afraid. <laughs> I was very very afraid <laughs> that first summer slaughter, two thousand and eight. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just trying to do my best every night. Uh, I knew that all the fans hated me. I was, you know, I I just climbed out on stage, super super nervous. And, and gave it my best. But at that time, my best was not what Cryptopsy needed. You know, it, it's, it wasn't horrible, but I didn't know what a death metal frontman should sound like, move like, be like. And I needed those 10 years to finally grow into someone that's more comfortable fronting Cryptopsy. Now, in, in that early stage, as we mentioned, the record, the, the fans kind of had a backlash on it when you we first jumped on. And then when you were touring that record at that time, was there a point where you were ever like, this isn't for me? Or were you like, no, I'm going to prove you all wrong. I am the guy for this job. Um, I was living in denial and the band was too a little bit, so they were very supportive. But uh, there was always, I, when I wrote the self-titled album after, the unspoken king i definitely had a this is my moment to prove myself this is the time i have to to make things right so so i, I definitely felt that when i was tracking the self-titled i really had this like mindset of i'm going to prove you guys wrong i can do this and i felt that i i took the steps that i needed to get a little bit more brutal for the self-titled and then from the self-titled to now i took the steps to keep the brutality but keep it a little bit more I bring a bit more clarity to to my my delivery, so you can actually understand what I'm saying more. And that's like really like an ultimate goal of mine. Is and a huge inspiration from George uh, Corpse Grinder is his uh, articulation. When he's speaking, he's very he 
all of his words, you understand everything that he's saying, but it's extremely brutal at the same time. So I've, I've definitely tried to build upon that. And the book of suffering, the EPs that you guys have been releasing out, Tome 3, is there any updates on that currently right now? We have started speaking about uh, booking time because now we're juggling a whole bunch of stuff going on within the band at the same time with our scheduling because uh, Ollie just joined Cattle Decap and uh, he's going to go track the new Cattle Decapitation record next month. And Flo is in a band called uh, Ultimas with David Vincent and Rune Erickson. So our scheduling is going to be very complicated in the next few, you know, potentially a few years. So we've already booked two sessions of when we're going to get together to write Tome 3. So hopefully we follow along with that and uh, we will get it out much quicker than it took it than Tome 2, because Tome 2, in my opinion, took too long in between the two to get it out. And now the EP thing, I, we talk about this quite frankly on the show. We just did a Best EPs of All Time episode a little while ago, and there's a lot of bands that are looking at it this way to kind of release kind of the shorter EPs in more quicker fashion than full-length albums. Why do you guys think that that works for you? Number one, we're independent, so we have no record label. Mm-hmm. So, and we self-produce, so to produce a, an EP costs much less than to produce a full length, especially since we're doing it in-house. Chris, my guitarist, records everything. And uh, we're somewhat of a legacy band at this point, in my opinion. You know, Benzoviol is a classic album. It's one of the forefathers of early death metal. And when we go out on stage every night, the fans are expecting to hear a bunch of Benzoviol. So if we're playing it like an eight to 10 songs set, at least four or five of those songs are going to be from Nuts for like the rest of our career. So when we put out new music, um, you know, there's no real, we can't play a whole new album, which is not going to happen. We'll play two, three new songs per set list, and we have to juggle those around Nuts So for Cryptopsy to put out a full length at this point, I don't see the point. We need to tour. We, there's no money to be made selling records anymore. Mm-hmm. If, if us as a band, we want to be profitable, we need to get out on the road, we need to play some shows, and the best way to get out on the road and play shows is to have new material. And the fastest way to get new material out for us, because we're very specific and very picky when we write new music, it's best for us to write less songs, focus on those songs, we're happy with those songs, put it out, and then tour it. You were just mentioning how you kind of see yourself a little bit as a legacy band. That's, that's interesting to me because I think the Book of Suffering has been great. So the fans, do you think, dictate a lot of what you need to do in the live performance opposed to whatever you're doing new creatively? I, I see it every night. The easy, it's like when the crowd goes, we'll play new material and they'll be like at a 6 on 10 energy-wise and then we'll pull out, you know, slit your guts and it goes to an 11 right away. Mm. So, so the the interaction between a crowd and a band and it, it does dictate a lot of our live shows and the set lists and we set up set lists as a fan in mind you, know, you want to hear those classic songs i'd be disappointed if i went and saw you know one of my favorite bands and they're not playing my favorite songs i got you know like when i went and saw mashuga and they didn't play millennium cyanide christ i was pissed <laughs> so so I, I i think the fans should have a voice in in the set lists and us providing a good show for our fans. I'm one of those dudes that really learn the new material before I see a band go on stage. I'm, I'm one of those guys where I love the old material, but I, 
I feel like for me as a fan, the journey is the new record, learn it, I see the new material live, and then I have this memory of that material, kind of like a story, you know? The more I do my show, the more I talk to people, I'm not the majority. I'm definitely the minority on that. A lot of people would rather see Iron Maiden play, you know, their first five records or something like that, where I'm like, no, I want to see all the Book of Souls, and all my friends will walk out during the show. So, um, <laughs> the, ba- the bathroom break songs. Yeah, they'll be like, oh, they're doing red and black. I'm going to go. That's 11 minutes. All right, go wait in line <laughs> for the beer. You know, so, but, um, yeah, but it, it is, to me, I guess the, the reason that it's, it's tough is because I always feel like the artist is growing as a human being. They're doing so much more as people that they're going to get better with time. That's not always the case, though. There's magic sometimes in that bottle early on that's so hard to replicate. Do you feel there's a point where, you shouldn't even try to reach that replication of that magic early on. Well, but it's, it's never like a, we never sit down and say, we're going to write a new nuns a while. It's, it's mm. cryptopsy. Every album is like a, like a, like a little frame of time of where the band is at that moment with the members that are there. So when you look at the unspoken King, you can see that when you listen to the record, it's very fragmented. The band was all over the place none of the members could agree on what they wanted the album to sound like. And then when you look at the self-titled, that was John Levasar coming back and it was his eye was very focused. You can really see like, it's like a little glimpse into that moment. And I can, when I listen to it, I go right back there. I can imagine. I remember him like showing me the songs for the first time. And it's like a, a time lapse piece of that moment in Cryptopsy's career. John came back. We got Ollie on bass. It's, it's like a, perfect moment and then the two tones are the new era and it's like where we are at that point in our playing you can there's always new things on the the last one i developed this new voice we call it the chris bark which is like a chris barnes dog bark thing which i've adapted to live shows which i use for all of my lord worm songs now so there's like a really like a, a time lapse little glimpse into each album so we're never trying to replicate or be better than none so vile because it, there would be no point. There would be no point. Completely. It would be boring for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just continually want to challenge ourselves. The, the boys are always pushing their technicality while remaining songwriters. So there's no like musical masturbation going on. It's really how, how let's bring this new technique that I brought in to my playing and then let's make an album and still make a song. Real quick, man, one more time. If you guys haven't checked out the podcast, voxandhops.com, voxandhops.com. Make sure you guys check it out, especially if you're a fan of death metal, like the guests that you have on there. They're, they're great, man. It's a it's an enjoyable enjoyable time, dude. And you keep it at like 45 minutes sometimes, so it's it's, it's mostly... I, I've been doing a little bit shorter on tour just because oh. of time. So, so uh, my tour ones have been around 30, 35 minutes. It's sort of hard to find like a quiet space for that long and uh, to keep my editing a little bit to, to get an episode out every week while you're on tour is a bit tough. So I've been, I've been finding the 30 minutes is a perfect little nice conversation and I can reasonably get it out every week. Dude, I agree. But yes, box and hops, in-depth conversations, musicians, industry folks about their lives, their business, their music, and most importantly, craft beer. <laughs> what is the worst craft beer you've had and do you want to say it out loud oh no there's different ones oh. there's, there, there was this beer happening 
when I started drinking beer, it was like a malt liquor lemonade thing. It was like Mike's Hard Lemonade sort of back in the 90s there, but the Quebec Montreal version was called Boomerang or Tornado Till Madness. So there was that beer, and it like I got way too drunk on it way too often as a teenager. <laughs> so I went to Ciel, which is a huge, amazing brewery up in, up in Montreal, and I ordered this pint, this lemon something ale, and I took a sip, and it tasted exactly like Boomerang Tornado Till Madness, and it was up there with my worst craft beer experiences just because it was related to my hangover memories uh, of my childhood. <laughs> right when you said it, but it wasn't a bad beer. Yeah, I, I feel like every beer is a beer and they're all good in their own right. You know, that the brewer made it for a reason and released it for a reason. So, so, you know, it might not be what your palate wants in that exact moment, but it's, it's still a good beer. Now, do you think you'll craft your own beers in the future? I want to. I want to, and I want to do a Vox and Hops. We don't, we've all talked a whole bunch about doing Cryptopsy beers. I just have to find a brewer that's, uh, that's interested and willing to do a collaboration. I challenge you to find a Cryptopsy beer with lemon flavoring. That would... Oh, no. No. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. no we, have, we have great ideas for that. Though. We're going to do the, the Nun Sober. And I want it to be like a, a really heavy Russian Imperial Porter aged in like a bourbon barrel or something none sober i already have the artwork in my mind dude i'm also thinking of doing a, a cider we're not really into ciders but we have this song called sire of sin and we're thinking of doing a cider called cider of sin <laughs> <laughs> it'd be really badass <laughs> that sounds awesome man i talked to the zach from whitechapel and he said that their beer had jalapeno in there have you oh, tried yeah that? that's fun I haven't tried theirs, but I've tried other ones. Uh, when I was in Prague uh, on the Hello Bird Europe version of this tour, in uh, in Prague we went to this little metal bar called the I can't remember, and uh, it was their like hot pepper challenge week or something. They have like a festival every week, and I drank this IPA that had jalapenos in it, and it was really, really, really spicy. It was really intense. Yeah, he was telling me just that hint of jalapeno makes you sweat. Like, just when you're drinking it, you don't realize it, but you're, like, sweating when you're kind of drinking the beer. It was, I yeah, it was really, really, intense. really interesting, dude. So, man, I got to tell you, it's exciting, dude. I'm so glad we got to talk about your podcast, dude, and everything. Everybody, make sure you check remaining tour dates. I know when this episode comes out, you guys might be coming to a close out here on this North American tour with Aborted. But hopefully... Yeah, right after that, we're in, we're in Europe with uh, Ingested, Insight, Night Rage, Demonical, and Glory Hole Guillotine. That starts on May 3rd at the Netherlands Death Fest. Dude, everybody, make sure in Europe you check that out. Glory Hole Guillotine. Is that what you just said? That is sadly what I just said. (laughs) (laughs) I know what band I'm looking up after this interview, man. That's a classic name. Glory Hole Guillotine. Wow. Dude, that's a a good beer name in a way. Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't drink it because I'd be scared, but... And uh, with that, dude, thank you so much for calling into the Metal Sucks podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
Metal Sucks Podcast.
are back, guys. First off, let's just bring up Cryptopsy. If you don't own None So Vile as a metalhead, or maybe you missed that, you pick that record up right now. As Matt was talking about legacy bands and those songs, that record is a must-own by every metalhead. The songs we played is off their latest record with Matt on vocals, and that is uh, off the Book of Suffering, Tome 2. First song you guys heard, Sire of Sin. Second song, Fear His Displeasure. Anyways, with that, guys, I want to thank everybody out there for the five-star reviews we keep getting. This was technically an industry episode because of his podcast. And also, I want to, I do want to mention that I am aware on his latest episode, if you guys go listen, he does talk negatively about the brand Metal Sucks and Vincent Axel. Regardless, this interview happened prior to that. We honor open opinions here on the Metal Sucks podcast. Amen. So, so you guys go ahead and listen to his podcast, regardless of him talking negatively about this brand. And I'll tell you right now, man, if you guys ever want to know Vincent Axel's opinion on what he's saying, go listen to Doc Coyle's podcast, The X-Man, where Ben Umanoff is on his show, or go listen to Everything Went Black podcast, where Ben Umanoff is on that show as well. And they can discuss that we on the metal six podcast we're just one post a week dude yeah and we are just a voice and interview so we will never cross that line but again we support all three podcasts doc coils x-man podcast one of our favorites on on the jabberjaw network and then also everything went black tombs a band we love over here so with that guys we want your five-star reviews we want to thank you so much we are getting inching closer to that number 200 inching closer so make sure you guys give us that five-star review if you appreciate the show and listen to us weekly otherwise we will talk to you next week the metal sucks podcast is signing off this is the jabberjaw podcast network